This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.
This is Cyber Smiley uh, with my co-host. I am Wisdom. Uh, nice to talk to you all again. And this is another episode of the Forlorn Dopes. Uh, today we have a special guest. Um, you might know him on Facebook as Phil McCracken. Um, he's kind of been promoting various cyberpunk groups, and we figured we'd have him on and uh, start talking some cyberpunk. How you doing, Phil? Thank you. I'm doing well, thank you. It's uh, been a while since you guys first invited me, like a month and a half, but life stuff has uh, got its way of getting in the way, so I'm glad to be here. We are glad to have you, friend. Glad to have you. Yes, we are. Um, You've been a supporter of ours for quite a while now, so... Agreed. <clears throat> so... Um, we can get into it. So, Phil, like, how did you first uh, get into cyberpunk? I got into cyberpunk many, many years ago, like uh, so many others. Uh, I was part of a gaming club here in Baltimore, Maryland, and a friend of mine brought uh, a magazine, and they had an advertisement for this new game. Well, I had been gaming since maybe a year before that, 1987. I thought I was never going to run a game. And then he showed me this ad and it's like, okay, this is right up my alley. <laughs> so that's that, that, that spring or summer when it uh, debuted back in 1988, a bunch of us jumped into our friend Scirocco, piled in there like clowns in a clown car and off to the <laughs> local game where we went. Nice. Very so nice. I, got the, I got the original black box set. I also had Solo of Fortune 1 and Near Orbit. Yeah, I was... Yeah, that's the original lineup right there. I was unfortunate enough to uh, kind of... I mean, I was introduced to uh, Cyberpunk 2013, um, and that's mm -hmm. how I got my... got into it, but by the time I really decided, okay, this is definitely a game I want to continue playing, and and start running uh by that time 2020 came out so i wasn't lucky enough to uh snatch a a box set and of course back then it was you know with when you had a bunch of mutual friends one person would buy the game and everyone would use it so that never really that's how it my worked own. out for me because i became the forever cyberpunk gm at that point granted i sucked at the beginning but i was the only one who knew the rules and loved the world and that was it yeah yeah that that accurately describes my first 10 15 years playing the game <laughs> now we played all variety of games at the game club but 
know, Cyberpunk was definitely, you know, mine and mine alone. Yeah. Yeah. And That's why and- I'm so glad for you guys and the new players because you guys have created so much content that, you know, they can just reach out and grab it. When I started, it was just me and my book. Yeah, that was before the internet really uh, took flight. Right. And by the time, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, that when you had uh, basically a surge of hundreds of websites from, like, little bits of content to, you know, extreme sites like uh, like uh, Data Fortress 2020, my site, and a, bunch, a few other sites. I got the internet in... 1996 and the very first thing I looked up was Cyberpunk 2020 (laughs) in 88 I had heard of you know well it wasn't really the internet at that point either yep no I was just Usenet dial up message boards and whatnot. so yeah I was out there in the wilderness like a babe all by myself (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. funny that you talked about a okay. gaming club because, you know, that's how I um, I kind of really got into gaming was my town. There was a, a gaming club, this was back in the late 70s, um, mm-hmm. that did like Dungeons & Dragons, Traveler, and some other games that were out at that time. And it was like, you know, it was a hefty size. It was like 30 to 40 people. So there was mm-hmm, always mm-hmm. like five, five different games happening all at once, um, and it's, it's hard to find gaming clubs nowadays. I think since the advent of uh, the internet. Right. Exactly. I mean, that was the beauty of it for me because I'm a very animated GM. I very rarely sit down behind the screen. I'm usually walking around the table, waving my arms, making voices, and doing different weird things and. I can't really do that online effectively. So no, I love... Online is a different animal altogether. Uh, there will never be a time when I don't prefer live face-to-face gaming. As much as I love online gaming as a substitute, uh, when you can't do that, it, it doesn't hold a candle. Precisely. So anybody out there, I encourage them. If you can do it face-to-face at least once, do it and you'll see the difference or feel the difference. Right. Um, yeah, so yeah, so we, we've all been there gaming for, God, it sounds like all, all three of us have been there since the advent of Cyberpunk. Um, yeah. So Let's get into like recent events within Cyberpunk. Um, basically, I really so I kind of fell off the grid with Cyberpunk until the trailer or the what, what are they calling it? The hiring promotional video of uh, of the uh, twenty seventy seven uh, game, which really kind of instilled back into me. Oh, I even though I'm not playing anymore and don't have too many uh people who do play that really mm-hmm. got me back in or started my cyberpunk juices again to get my site up and running again and that's um, great i mean sometimes it just takes a little bit of inspiration to like spark it off again yeah 
so when when 2013 hit and that trailer came out um what were you have you even played uh cyberpunk 2077 yet or sadly my little chromebook couldn't oh. not even handle that <laughs> hey, but yeah. it, it's so funny because when my friends saw the trailer and again i am the cyberpunk guy for our group i got like a dozen different messages hey phil t- check out this trailer and i i loved it i i watched it a dozen times the first day i saw it i loved how they overlaid you know old night city and stacked new stuff on top of that so you got that blend of the old aesthetic plus that a little shinier chrome yeah yeah i mean i like i like the uh the love letter to the game it was based off of. I was ashamed that more didn't come through in the actual game. Right. But there was still plenty of it. Um, there is there is just a ton of, of, of beautiful bits and homages to the original game and bits of reference and yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the big game really is much better than people want to give it credit for. And yeah, bugs in all the way I feel about it is, you know, I get to see Night City. I don't care how many bugs it has, I get to see yeah. Night yeah. City. I mean that was that was our consensus too, is that after after you know, thirty years forty years no, thirty years. After thirty years we get to fucking finally walk around Night City. That that is not something I thought would ever happen. And good lord, I am, I am pleased as punch every time I load the video game. <laughs> yeah, and it, it saddens me that you know an old schooler like you, Phil, isn't <laughs> never got it or hasn't had a chance yet to really uh, play the game. Um, we we should start like a foundation for old school cyberpunks, <laughs> punkers <laughs> get, who get need the old dudes consoles. Yeah. Arms, arms for the poor. Because, <laughs> like, for yeah. me as an old schooler, just yeah, like, like what um, Wisdom said, it was just it really, and I think the old schoolers appreciate the game more than people who you know are just you know game of the week type of people. Um, mm-hmm. And to me, that game was definitely a love letter to to all of us. So I, I do appreciate what CDP, or CDPR did for uh, us as a community. And it also instilled, I think, uh, excitement about cyberpunk um, in which, you know, it, it got those old school cyberpunk players going. And it also, I think, opened it up to a lot of new players um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because of that hype and then of course our Talsorian now had a deadline <laughs> to start introducing <laughs> their new, next generation of cyberpunk um, because at the time uh, so I started going to a, a gaming convention years ago up in Massachusetts called TotalCon and back I think in 2014 is when Mike Pondsmith actually started coming to that con and Mm -hmm. 
<clears throat> I actually was uh, in a few of his games. It's very hard because they often sell out almost within seconds. Mm -hmm. But luckily I was able to get in a few of his games over the years. But back in 2014, he was talking about the game. And he was also talking about um, uh, Black Crow. Mm -hmm. However, I don't think he really was mentioning red as a system. So I think he wanted to push out Black Crow before going to the new system and kind of like bridging that gap. Mm -hmm. But I have a feeling that everything kind of changed with licensing and history and how, how people were accepted. So, um, But he did run a lot of demos of Red before it came out at that con. And I think he also did a Gen Con in, in Origins, I think, is another one he went to. Yeah, I envy you. You got to meet the man in person. I was fortunate in, you know, my little point of geek to actually speak to him and Lisa. Um, this was back in about 2014. I had uh, put out a feeler to them said, hey, I'm running Cyberpunk at my local convention you have any kind of swag that you can send me and, you know, things like that. I was not expecting any kind of response. I got a response that same hour. And they sent me some books, some flyers, some, uh, you know, pamphlets. And wow. it was awesome. So I ran it. People loved it. Actually went home and started running their own game. They only did it for like 18 months, but they still did it. Yeah. So I'm caught. I told them, hey, I'm expecting to get you know a secretary because for me, RTG was this colossal entity, and it was Lisa. I was like, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm sitting here like... She, uh, she took a very personal hand in, in things. Yes, said, this is the lady herself, and I'm just sitting there like, you know, fluttering, and talked to her about five minutes, and then I... She says, hold on a moment. And then I hear her speaking to someone in the background. Hey, go say hi. His name is Phil, and he runs our game in Baltimore. I'm thinking to myself, no, she is not talking to him. And then that voice comes over the line. <laughs> nice. I fanboy all over the seat. And I can't remember what I said or what he asked me, but I know I just thanked him profusely him and her because cyberpunk is the the game that not only got me out of my gaming shell it got me out of my personal shell too because you have to be personable if you're going to run an rpg yeah and that was the game that motivated me to run an rpg so everything else that followed i attributed to cyberpunk and team pondsman well, i'm sure they appreciate the love man yeah i, I always view Mike as the the visionary crazy artist head in the cloud and Lisa is her, her his uh, wrangler and, and yeah. doing the day to day trying to keep that crazy mind focused on one thing or the other she was uh, I only ever communicated with her through emails and whatnot, but she was always super friendly and cordial to me uh, she is the she is the friendly face of the corporation while Mike is the boisterous booming voice of the corporation. 
Yeah, that's what I said. I was really envious that you actually got to play under him, you know, directly. You know, that was awesome. He rubs it in all the time. <laughs> uh, all the time, man. Because he, he, does, he doesn't do it very often, which I, I recently found out that um, basically he, he just goes to Gen Con uh, and Origins and the, the, this Total Con which is up in Massachusetts, and I always thought it was like, you know, just a very local con that no one really knows about. But he started com- coming there as his pleasure con, right? A place where he goes mm-hmm. for fun, not necessarily on business, which is, you know, the other two. Right. Um, and, and, you know, and it, I'm just amazed that, you know, uh, the the old school people that this game has and I think he came there because so I don't know if you know these names but like um, Tim Cask and Frank Metzer those two guys used to go to Tolacon Um, Tim I think still does Frank I'm not quite sure about I think he might have kind of retired from the con circuit Um, but if you know those two names so Tim Cask is one of the originators or co-founder not really a co-founder but just back in the infancy of tsr and dungeons and Mm -hmm. dragons he actually started dragon magazine and uh, frank metzer is a prolific author of various tsr products um i think his biggest claim to fame was um the original uh temple of elemental doom or elemental evil that's that's a pretty big claim to fame right there. Yeah. My job? What? <laughs> oh, sorry, wrong temple of elemental evil. Yeah, so you had those two, you know, and, and there's a few other guys who uh, who come out here um, to this con. And so, um, so yeah, it's, I mean, I've I really don't play D&D when I'm at cons because the majority of it is like uh, like living Greyhawk or living Forgotten Realms or some other thing that if you're not part of the niche, you know, you're missing out, um, which kind of turned me off because oftentimes you're at a, at a table with a bunch of players who are, I need those magic items and are really aggressive snotty and arrogant uh, about pieces of paper and not really enjoying the game understandable i i love running at conventions uh doing cyberpunk for the first time at a convention again a local convention and it was great i mean at that time, again, we're talking about late 80s, haven't even hit 90 yet, and most people have never even heard of it. So I presented something unique to them that they had never even seen before. I would like to think, in my you know, own arrogant way, that somehow they went out later on and bought some books and started running it themselves. You can always dream. Uh, I, um, uh... I've never actually been to a gaming convention, much to my 
much to my eternal disappointment, uh, I've been to many, many, many comic book conventions. And of course, there were games being run at those comic book conventions, but I've never been to an actual dedicated gaming convention. Yeah, I mean, for me, um, you know, I've had various spouts in, of going to one or two a year, um, dropping off because real life didn't work out so I could play, but lately, you know, I've been getting back into it. Um, but actually, if, if you have a chance, to me, a, a gaming convention is kind of a, you kind of want to go with a couple of friends, right? Oh, um, yeah. I don't like doing it anyway. <laughs> Secondly, the people you can meet, um, really you can spark off great friendships with. Um, and, and even, you know, I, I, the one thing I like about gaming conventions is it is a one shot right and you're given a character you don't have to roll one up here's a character some sessions will give you a bit of background um around the character to kind of role play them out uh those are the ones i kind of prefer um mm -hmm. and then you just play acting you know i remember going in the one and only time i went to gen con i was in a cthulhu game and i'm reading the character and i'm you know kind of as an introvert I really don't introduce myself or, or talk very much but reading the character you know reading that okay he's English so I started putting on an English accent and throughout the game I was talking with a you know a British accent finally after everything was done and I'm like hey guys you know it was great playing with all of you and all this stuff and all of them like looking at me like and I'm like what and you're like we thought you were from England <laughs> I'm like oops <laughs> <laughs> really, I did that great of a job. Bro. Um, Bro. But the one thing about gaming conventions is if you don't plan on ever going to a gaming convention, then it really shouldn't matter how you act or how you behave, right? Because all you're there to do is have fun. Um, and you can spark, like I said, you can spark off some great friendships. Some games aren't as great as others. Um, but it's definitely an atmosphere that's very conducive to your gaming habits, you know? If, if you're a long-time gamer, it's, it's definitely a place you want to go because you're with your people. You're with your people, and you have a variety of games to choose from. Hey, I don't like this game. I've, I've, I've looked at your, your profile and your backstory, and, okay, but I'm going over to the other two tables, which might actually have something I want. You can pick and choose. Yep. Yeah. I mean, personally, the the uh, like con gaming has never really appealed to me, um, just because it's not it's not what I'm looking for in a role playing game. However, I've recently come to the con come to uh, the realization that that where con gaming becomes useful is, is it lets you try out new things. Um, so. Uh, yeah. I wish I could experience that. Uh, here in Northwest Arkansas, we don't we don't get a lot of gaming conventions. Uh, in general, when one takes place, I've got to go to like Tulsa or Kansas City. Um, 
it's starting to get better, but you know, we, we take it a day at a time, and hopefully one of these days I'll be able to attend a gaming convention. Yeah, I hope alive. I think '90s was probably one of the golden ages of gaming cons because you know that was kind of at the height of Dungeons and Dragons uh, with Second Edition and a bunch of innovative new types of game like Cyberpunk uh, were coming out. Call of well, Call of Cthulhu has been around for a while, but you know it's starting to pick up. It was huge in the '90s. Yeah. So all of those kind of pushed, because I mean, even in my small state of Connecticut, um, there was three to five conventions just in that state back in the 90s every year. Um, granted, now it's kind of died off to the point of maybe one or two. Um, and the big role-playing game I, or role-playing con I used to go to kind of has converted itself into more of a... a uh, board game con. Uh, yeah, uh, that that does happen too often. Uh, well, we're just gonna switch over to board games because they are internal, eternal. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's you also get universally appealing. Yeah. So. And you get a lot of new kids and families that want to because that's the, <laughs> that's the other thing that happened. I think in the two thousands was all these gamers are now having families and becoming adults um so a few of the cons you know specifically target okay we're gonna have this con during a school break or in which people can get off and be able to go to these conventions again Mm -hmm. so um, I I i miss going with friends you know those a lot of the folks i met through the gaming club who are still my friends uh to this day like uh my best friend ray he's the one who drug me kicking and screaming to the gaming club no not he did introduce me to it and i am forever grateful for that because that led to everything else that followed including me becoming the gm that i am today excellent well thank you ray (laughs) (laughs) so phil if you like had spurts of you know dry spells with uh um cyberpunk in a few years because of real life you just never got or was able to uh run it or has it always been a consistent thing oh sadly over the last 30 plus years it has not been as consistent as i wanted it to be but i did have my dry spells it was uh times when i only had uh I could only do one-on-ones, you know, one player and me. And I love one-on-ones. I know a lot of people don't like it. They say it's too intensive as far as like role-playing and things like that, but I love them because they bring out so much more of the character than when you're in a group. But hey, yeah, I had I had so many dry spells and I, I stick with it. I, I don't leave it. I don't I just I know the dry spell is going to end at some point. Right now, I've got two games going, and it's great. Yeah, for me, I just I can't run more than more than one game, um, just because 
I try to put as much as I can into the game when it comes to like intrigue and spinning off other possible shadowy events uh, mm-hmm. around my players. So it always gives them a, a bit of paranoia. And it's funny because one of these past games, the players were thinking about, and, and I like it because they were very paranoid, but they started getting into kind of a, an analysis paralysis um, behavior in which mm-hmm. they were kind of overthinking of like, oh, well, if this guy gave us this, then it's possibly bug, and that's how he knows everything about us, and oh my god, what about my, you know, my sister who I see constantly, is she in danger? And everyone's like, oh, what about my friend that I, you know, work with? Is that person in danger? And I'm like, kind of had to step up and like, okay, guys, I'm glad you're paranoid, and I'm glad I'm putting you on edge, but uh, I'm gonna do a little Shut bit of mini gaming to, to to get you guys back on track and give you some, mm-hmm. you know, relieve your anxiety about what's what's the baddies are gonna do next or what they know about who you are. Right, right, because they will tend to overthink things. I have been in situations when, you know, I'm I'm putting forth a mystery, and they're kicking around different ideas. And what grabs me the most is when they actually hit the idea, like, and then they move on. It's like, it's over here. so close. You you had it in your hand and you put it down and... uh, uh. (laughs) So, yeah, overanalyzing, like you say, analysis paralysis. I like that one. (laughs) Yeah, and I think... When you and you know because of COVID, I've I've been running this group uh, online. However, I think players when they start throwing around ideas, you know, and I'm sure one or two of them will always be looking at the GM and kind of reading them. So mm. there's always that. Oh, I hit upon the idea because the GM kind of perked up or you know, lean forward to listen in a little more than the other previous ideas. And, you know, right. from a body language point of view, it kind of helps players guide along. But, like, as you said, you know, once you get into the online realm, you kind of miss that um, body language that is communicated when you're playing in face-to-face. Right, and sometimes you intentionally give away something through your you know, visual, your face, your posture. It's like, okay, I want them to really take that path over there. So I'm going to just kind of kind of do a little gasp or something like that that lets someone know if they're watching you, oh, I have to go over here now. A little yeah. subtle manipulation, but still fun nonetheless. Yeah. Um, so I guess we can uh, move on to thoughts about Cyberpunk Red. Uh, have you started running it, or are you still uh, 2020? Referee? I am. I'm. I'm a. I'm a diehard 2020 guy. Um, Red does have a lot of interesting things that I'm going to uh, dissect. I like the idea of dual class. I, I really see that as a benefit because you no. Know, Sometimes your medic might be, you know, pretty decent hacker. Or your hacker might be, you know, pretty decent at medicine. 
So I love the idea of them making multi-classes. I haven't seen it played out yet, but I do like that idea. <clears throat> Interlock Unlimited. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, 2020 had the multi-class, but that was only from the interface magazines. Exactly. A lot of people don't even... I can't say a lot. I'm going to say newer players don't know about the interface magazines because they were tied to the 2020 uh, version of Cyberpunk. And I love the interface magazines so much. Like one of my favorite characters I use is Spider Lady. It's like, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah, this chick is completely brilliant, but completely batshit. I mean, yeah. the interface magazines, like, they were rare when they were new. Uh, they've only gotten more so in the years past, but uh, it's like it's like uh, Punk Twenty One, the the British version of Interface. Like even hardcore cyberpunk fans have never heard of that. Right, I don't, I've only heard of that myself only over the last couple of years. Yeah, I started hearing about it from your site. Uh wisdom i mean it took me forever to track down all the issues um, i have i have oh sorry go ahead no i was just gonna say it's uh but it's those it's it, I, I love fanzines of any kind really uh mm -hmm. and the fact that there were two fairly professional uh i mean obviously they were both amateur jobs because they're a little four by eights but uh, actually, that just so much fun to me. Yeah, they were great. They you know, they covered the things that were going to be later covered in 2020, like nomads and cops, and you know AI and netrunners, and they touched on things that became standard. Yeah, they expanded on stuff that really needed to be expanded on, but but weren't being touched anywhere. Um, I mean, it is it is a credit to Chris Hawk about and uh, Thaddeus Howes uh, just how much they were able to include in such a relatively small space and only with six issues. Uh, a lot of what they put in went uh, official. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I use that stuff to this day. Same here. You know, I, I remember uh, it was either your last episode or the episode before that one. Uh, Cyber Smiley mentioned the Corvette Cyberlegs, which was originally an interface. Yep. Yeah, and, and I think interface. And it's funny because I'm looking right at my four issues that I only have. Um, to me, interface was a lot better than a couple of other fanzines. Like, I think Dragon kind of pushed various rules. Uh, however, a lot of them were like, yeah, this really isn't going to fit with any game, right? Um, mm -hmm. It's kind of specific. Whereas what was presented in Interface could be applied to most, except for the, the, Call, <laughs> the Call of Cthulhu uh, edition. But the rest right. of them definitely could be, you know, plugged it plug and play at any point within anyone's campaign. Precisely. And trust me, I plugged and I played. 
<laughs> yeah, so you, the cover for issue four is still one of my favorite pieces of cyberpunk art out there. That <laughs> cyberpunk bar with mm-hmm. the hookah hanging from the ceiling and all that. I mean, that just... It's the same issue that uh, Corvette Cyberlegs were introduced. Right. And the Interface Magazine introduced my favorite cyber weapon. I don't know if you guys have favorite cyber weapons. Mine is uh, the Palm Bomb. It's uh, <laughs> a cyber arm that has a shotgun in it, and it will not go off. I mean, you can punch and fight all day long, but when you make that solid palm contact with somebody, that's when it goes off. So you know you're going to hit. Because if you can get your hand on it. Uh, that had to have been inspired by, by Chris's, like... Uh, my Pris's weapon from Bubblegum Crisis, where she runs up and hits him, and the gun goes off. Like, uh, it, it's a good cyber weapon. I, I approve. My other one is uh, Spitting Cobra. Uh, oh yeah. Those who know don't know about that one. Uh, you have poison glands, uh, you know, implanted in your face, and you have hollow points on your uh, canines, sometimes elongated, and. Just like the spitting cobra in nature, you open your mouth, you aim at the target, and you spit in their face. I don't care how much armor you have. You're susceptible to poisons because you have eyes. That's very true. <laughs> that's the beauty of cyberpunk is that shit matters. Like, oh, I target somebody's eyes? Well, suddenly they can't see. Exactly. And a neurotoxin in your eyes... I've got 35 points of armor, blah, 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 and reflex. Oh, you, you still got eyes. Didn't help you in the slightest. <laughs> next, time wear a, next time wear some smart shades or a visor. <laughs> yeah, I recently had a... Uh, so I developed a, a big baddie that the players had to um, fight. And uh, one of the players... So the majority of the players, you know, had run-of-the-mill, you know, guns and other implements of destruction. So this big baddie really didn't have to worry too much about them. Um, however, one of the players decided, okay, I'm going to be an archer <laughs> and use bows. And also mm-hmm. I'm going to lace those arrows with, with the neurotoxin. Holy shit. <laughs> Our bows broken <laughs> and neurotoxin. Um, <laughs> It was just, it was, it was bad, <laughs> to say the least, um, just because of how arrows work, and that big baddie almost went down like a chump. <laughs> but see, I love that, it's innovative use of, you know, the world and the equipment in it. Not everything needs to be a gun. I mean, little mono blade is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Slice and dice, that's a great one. Hey, stretch this across the neck level, have someone chase you down the hallway, and bye-bye, baddie. I don't know that you're going to be able to get, a, get away setting up the slice and dice, but the mono wire itself is good stuff. Um, I love seeing it represented in Johnny Mnemonic. Like, everybody gives that movie shit, but I think it's a great movie, and... The dude with the cyber thumb is Jerry with the yeah with the cyber thumb with the mono wire attachment. Yeah, that was beautiful to see. <laughs> yeah, I, I, 
Go ahead. Uh, yeah, so, like, Johnny Mnemonic definitely had some campiness to it. And I think that's what turned off some people. Uh, but I love that campiness because it had the... Definitely had the cyberpunk as genre as well as stuff that I could relate to within the game. Um, mm-hmm. Which is always... I always love uh, movies that, yeah, I can easily translate that into game mechanics. Precisely. And I think that's why Cyberpunk appeals to me so much above D&D. I've not really played too much D&D, so I'm not an expert. But Cyberpunk presents me something I can put my, my hands on. I can lay, overlay the world before me with a little bit of extra chrome, a little bit of extra neon, some cyberware, I can visualize it perfectly. It's related. Horses and knights. Correct. Horses and knights and dragons. I love it. I mean, I'm definitely a fantasy fan, but I can't lay my hands on it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Um, it's uh, Cyberpunk is something you can immediately grasp. Uh, if you can envision the world outside your window, then you can throw some flying cars and, and some neon on top of that and, and, and grasp it easily. Bada boom, bada bing. Whereas, you know, you throw dragons into the mix or weird monsters. Um, I don't know. Magic just seems like a cheat to me. Just like anything's possible. Magic. Well, I, don't know. I wouldn't it, go that far because of I don't go that far because I actually like superheroes and it's pretty much, you know, you know, you're a mutant or you're a wizard. You can do amazing, weird things that nobody else can do. So I can't really put down the, you know, hand waviness of, hey, magic, because I do it with superpowers. Sure. I wasn't trying to put it down. I'm just, it doesn't appeal to me as much as. Oh, yeah, I definitely dig that. As much as a game where the, where the physics of the world work the same same as the physics in our world for the most mm-hmm. part i mean oh sure, yeah yeah flying cars but <laughs> we can forgive that yeah you can yeah. imagine somebody with a, an artificial arm more yeah. than you can imagine a fireball going off from somebody just waving their hands at you right so That's Phil, what, uh, go ahead uh, I was actually going to start changing the subject, but if you want to continue talking about this. Oh, no, no. Go for it. Go for it. So, Phil, like, um, Wisdom is kind of a, a nomad type of uh, GM. Um, I'm more kind of a street-level spec ops type of thing. So what kind of games do you usually run? Um, right now I'm doing a little blend of nomad slash corporate. One of the guys is in trouble. He's out in the nomad territories, but mostly I like cops because one thing I've always noticed about some of these, uh, games and scenarios, you have these guys walking around with 30 points of armor, walking tanks, and by the rules, you can do that. But by the world standard, you can't because if somebody sees you walk around in all this armor, guess what? You're going to attract attention. And they're either going to try to test your armor or try to arrest you for having it. 
and then the um, the protect and serve, which is uh, for those who don't know the uh, top supplement. They actually tell you what you can have, where you can have it. It's like, okay, you can you can have 15 points of armor and no more than that. Because other than that, we're going to pull you over and find out what you're up to. And I'm sorry, but I I like to use the world as the world. You walk around the heavy armor, somebody's going to notice. Unless you're in the combat zone, then you're fine. But anywhere, anywhere else outside the combat zone, you're going to attract attention, and it's probably going not to be the kind of attention that you're looking for. Honestly, I think even inside the combat zone, if you're running around with the latest flak issue stuff, you're going to, like... People are going to pay attention. If for anything All else, other than attention, now you're a walking not... bag of loot. <laughs> right. They're going to pay attention, but they're not likely to, you know, mess with you too much. Unless, again, they want to test your armor. And I have worn armor, um, not because I'm a cop or anything. I used to work for uh, the Maryland Science Center, and we did a demo of different cop stuff. So I got to wear full riot armor. It's hot and it's heavy. And trust me, when those guys are done their mission, whatever they're doing, they come out of that stuff. So I oh, can't yeah. see a character walking around in 30 points of armor all the time, every adventure. No, you can't do it. So you yeah. don't have to worry about the tanks because you can't logically wear that much armor all the time. Yeah, I hear the uh, complaint about people wearing, <laughs> like players wearing too much armor and all that. I hear that as a complaint from GMs all the time, and I'm just all like, well, how did you lose control of your game that that's socially acceptable anywhere they're going or that they can possibly feel comfortable enough to function uh, if they're wearing heavy armor, like, just 24-7? Like, they're not going to be allowed yeah, exactly. anymore. They're not going like, to... Corporates aren't going to hire them because they draw too much attention. Um, really, other than the most basic of thug work, that's they're not gonna be able. They're not gonna be employable. Yeah, and I think um, exactly, and that's the whole thing. As a referee, Sorry, no worries. As a referee, you kind of have to tell players about that. Like, um, oftentimes, I have to remind my players. You know, use common sense, right? kind of draw in real world situations um if you feel if you feel like you can carry an assault rifle into a local pizzeria without anyone batting an eye it's <laughs> going to be the same way in cyberpunk you know that the, the expectations should be the same as you have today with the understanding yes mm -hmm. you know there are more uh liberal gun laws here in which you definitely have open carry um, in in the cyberpunk world, but there's also an open carry limitation of yeah, assault rifles are still bad. For, you know, shotguns are still bad, um, and and heavily armored people. And again, I don't think they really got into that type of lore of yeah, people with Metal Gear, you know, shouldn't also be or should be viewed as suspicious by everyone um yes yeah it should be Indeed. it's never really mentioned Indeed. anywhere you know that's why it's never a problem for me in my game because i use that common sense it's like okay you're gonna walk around with this big heavy gun okay 
the police don't like that, you know. And I actually once, once I let this guy do whatever he wanted. I said, okay, go for it. Of course, he took a solo. He took ten combat since ten. He took basically he used just forty points for basic stuff. He couldn't read the right, but he could shoot a gun. Okay, I'm gonna <laughs> let you do. This. Do you want to do this? Yeah, I want to do this. And I let him do it. And even bother to try to pull him over from cruiser, call for a navy, and became you know a pink mist. It's just easier to flatline you than to try to arrest you because you got so much armor on. We could shoot it along. That's going to cost us manpower, bullets. Eh, let's just call it AB4 to end this whole thing. Yep. Makes sense to me. I think or if we're... you're a street level guy, hey, a Molotov cocktail is almost free. Let's see your armor do something with that. <laughs> Yeah, the other thing, and, and I've never really got into cop campaigns, is to me for a cop campaign, the amount of wealth of story ideas, hooks, etc. that is in our media today that you can pull from is just, <laughs> it's, it's almost on the borderline of exhaustive, you know, of where you can pull yeah, you can. various stories from. Cop campaigns or private investigator campaigns, they they provide some of the easiest like gaming structure to make a game work. You you've got a career, even if you can have multiple roles within that like there's gonna be cop netrunners, there's gonna be cop facemen, there's gonna be cop like detectives and SWAT guys and all sorts of stuff that you can all have working on the same case. Uh, or in, even mm -hmm. as a private investigator, this can work. Um, it, it provides you, it provides the characters with the uh, means of employment uh, and the, I don't want to say reins or like railroad tracks, but it definitely provides like a safety net for the GM to say, hey, look, you guys have this job. Here comes a case. When this case is done, there'll just be another case. Um, right. I think the word you're looking for is boundaries. But sure. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, that's that's as good a word as any. Boundaries. Um, it gives the GM the tool he needs to make sure that the game goes in the direction that he wants it to go. Whereas if uh, I've seen, hell, I was guilty of it. I used to run just like every, anybody can play whatever they want. I'll try and make it work off the cuff games that just, they were kind of a nightmare to uh, wrangle everybody into cooperating with each other enough to make the game move past the beginning stages. <laughs> It's the same with a military campaign or a nomad tank campaign. Anytime you get everybody on the same page with the same basic expectations and backgrounds, uh, it just makes everything easier for the GM. But I find that if you give them, even if not all, like all the same character type, like if you give them a common goal, yeah, you know. And then you got to find some, you know, organic way to bring them all together. Uh, like the one campaign when I had, when you know, 
people's heads were suddenly exploding and they weren't being shot. So, hey, I'm a medic, so I got to find out why these people's heads are exploding. Hey, my friend's head exploded. I got to find out why. You know, I'm the friend of the medic, so I'm going to travel along with you. So they had a common goal, but different reasons for being there. So it's, you have to find some way to organically bring them together if you're going to do the hodgepodge, you know, everybody plays what you want. Yes. Once you get over that hump, you know, okay, we, we, we are on the, we're on the same page. We, we have a common goal. Yes, you're a fixer. You're a nomad, but we, we're going over here now. I don't think I want to be in a game where various people's heads are exploding um, randomly. Oh, there's, <laughs> oh, there's a whole storyline behind that. We don't have that. <laughs> That's when I had... Uh, um, basically, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll skip to the end. Corporate advertising on his way out. Younger, bolder guys coming up behind him. Devises this method to beam advertisements quickly into somebody's heads and some people's neurological systems, you know, didn't like it, so they popped their heads off. And oh, thank you. And oh, uh, I'm just appreciating it. Yeah, that's good stuff. And I, he was a decreasing threat. And by that, I mean, at the beginning of the adventure, he was still, you know, in his position, but he was, you know, scamming money from the corporations to make this project happen. So the first encounter was him using corporate funds. Second encounter with his, you know, goons, not as powerful because he was then tapping into his money. And then by the end of the adventure, anybody who was, you know, not dead, you know, he was just hiring guys off the street. Because of his desperation, he was just still trying to make this thing work but he went from corporate resources to his own resources to digging up guys out of the gutter to try to shoot you and hmm. that's why by decreasing threat so at the end of the adventure i gave him the choice hey what do you want to do with this guy you've tracked him down to his home he's got bags in hand he's heading out to parts unknown oh he killed my friend so i'm gonna blow up his car okay I'm, that is your option and there you go Cool. Sounds like a fun game. Um, oh, just so you're aware, we're at the hour mark. Um, again, Phil, normally we go for hour and a half, two hours, depending upon how the conversation goes. So I just want to make sure that it's cool with you, that we continue going, oh, no, no. or if you have any time no, limits. All right, great. Oh, no, no, no. I gave up my bedtime long, 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 long. <laughs> Mom may still call me up every once in a while, say if I'm eating right, but she will never say, "Hey, it's time to go to bed." Yeah. But cool. Mom, <laughs> I love the moms. <laughs> They're always looking out for us. Oh yeah, my mom loves the cyberpunk games. Really? Yeah, I actually uh, my might uh, listen in as well. So yeah. Oh yeah, um, I started doing it from my. Um, I started doing it my weekly, my normal weekly game, bi-weekly, sorry, at my mom's house because where I was living, the people didn't understand or like gaming. So, hey, I'll just go to mom's house, and she listens intently. She said it reminds her of the old radio serials from the time when she was a kid, and yeah. she'll get into it. She's like, "Why is he doing that? 
he's going to get himself killed and da, 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 da. and she she loves interacting with the characters i mean she stands on the sidelines she's not actually playing but you know she'll interject as you know older folks tend to do and she loves it and i love doing it for her yeah that's cool uh like i said my mom when i had the game room my mom lived next door and she just come over and like sit just outside or come in and sit in the corner and just listen to me run uh listen to the other people you know listen to the game itself and yeah she'd get mad if i didn't tell her we were gaming <laughs> yeah i mean my mom kind of flourished my love of uh role-playing games but you know she really didn't get into them she was just happy that i was happy and also that i wasn't doing any drugs or misbehaving um because i was too busy busy gaming um but yeah that's another thing kids do role-playing games not drugs <laughs> it's, it's debatable it's whether it's cheaper or not both. <laughs> yeah but you don't lose your teeth true and you only have to buy the game book once. I mean, I don't know about that. I, I, I'm pretty familiar with the gamer diet of Cheetos and Mountain Dew. <laughs> inevitable. Well, in Damn. gaming, you never have to orally uh, pleasure someone to uh, get more gaming stuff. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen some motherfuckers pretty desperate for dice, let me tell you. <laughs> hey, buddy. I need some new dice. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, boy, this just took an interesting turn, didn't it? <laughs> so, getting back to Red, um, did you want to give any like of your opinion? So, for for me and um, uh, Wisdom, we kind of did a two or three part episode dissecting what we mm -hmm. liked and what we didn't. Um, just the key highlights. We loved what special abilities became. Um, mm -hmm. uh, which was great. And I think the, our biggest letdown was uh, the simplicity of the guns and equipment. Yeah, that did take a little bit of the flavor away. I know they say, well, you can get a, a, a techie to augment and do this and do this. And it's like, well, why would I need him to do that if it were already, you know, a Styre Aug or a a Walther PPK? That's that's flavor. I mean, they all do the same thing. They put bullets down range, but they have that character to them that memorable, I should say. So yeah, the genericness of it is a bit of a letdown. I I will say that. You know, give me some flavor, something I can sink my teeth into. Yeah, for for me with Cyberpunk, you know, when you compare it to other game systems, you know, D and D is is the big one, right? And the flavor mm -hmm. they have comes with magic, whether it's magic weapons or, or magic items or spells. Um, mm -hmm. And to me, it seemed like Red kind of took away that diversity or complexity that other game systems still kind of have even though they they've streamlined the mechanics of it but they still mm -hmm. have that variety outside of it um and it it kind of 
I, I think that was the major disappointment for me was just how they took away one of the key aspects that I loved about the game was that variety, the ability to create and do things like, for example, even like programs, they, they removed the program rules. Um, and it seemed like they removed the drug creation rules and all these little mechanics that they developed in 2020 on how to how a player can create their own were kind of pulled out um, for whatever reason. I assume to to make it a little more simplistic and, and streamlined to the system, which right, right. can be good, um, especially for for new players. But again, I think. You have a, the Jumpstart kit, which should have been the simplistic, streamlined uh, version of a more complex system. Mm-hmm. So, those were my thoughts on it. Um, I mean, uh, I do, do like the... Sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, my, my thoughts on Red have been fully explored uh, in our previous, like, eight-hour review of, uh, of Red. But uh, I'm glad. Sorry. I, I tend to get uh, over, you know, talkative when I get nervous. No, Sorry. by all means. Um, I was going to say, uh, I do love me some gun porn. Uh Gear porn, period. I, I like being able to look through a catalog of stuff. And mm -hmm. Red is lacking in that department. I like, like I said, with a lot of people, it seems to draw... An, I want people to come into the hobby, first of all. So I'm glad that RTG, you know, started reprinting the old books and uh, that 2077 are doing what they're doing and Red kind of connects that. Well to 2077 and it grows our community but some of the things that like you said like the, the streamlining but one thing I don't understand I'm not going to say I don't like it is the again since I'm the cop guy that uh, that what's the um, what's it called uh, the new one in red the new cop uh, special ability yeah it's not authority backup yeah, yeah, it's like that's a foregone conclusion. When you're a cop, even if you're a rookie, somebody puts out an all call. They don't say, "Well, I like this guy, I'm not going to go rescue him." No, it's like he's a cop, I'm a cop, I'm going. You don't really need that special ability part of the cop makeup. I like the authority because hey, I'm I'm sitting here from these little gangers, you know. I'm going to straighten my back up, bellow, and get them the cow. But, you know, I've, again, I'm the cow guy, so I, I like the special ability as it was. Well, I think that, that some of the special abilities, and for me, you know, authority, it, it never oh, really... Yeah, it needed some tweaking. I think it needed, you know, okay, authority should be applied to intimidate interrogate or, or give some type of bonus right um to to mm -hmm. other skills or all right similar to what it, what they did with uh street deal and the fixer you know well you should also have some snitches 
uh, and other contacts to follow up leads, um, which I think they could have done in Serve and Protect. Now, Serve and Protect was a great resource, but I think that resource could have also expanded a little more like they did with Wildside uh, when it came to, to expanding the special ability and showing you what you can do. Because, again, it, it, in the basic book, it was... And there's a few of them that are like that, like uh, credibility, resource. It kind of glosses over what you could possibly do with them, but nothing really game mechanic-wise. Yeah, way could... too many of the original Cyberpunk 2020 special abilities were just these abstract things that were left up to GM interpretation. Except for Combat Sense, <laughs> which had a definite... Combat Sense, which is... <laughs> which is that was the first thing we did with interlock unlimited is is make all the special abilities work like combat sense um, and we removed the whole the other problem with the 2020 special abilities is half of them uh relied on you being employed for them to be useful like if you were a corporate or a cop or uh, media and you well media is not not media is. but if you were a corporate or a cop and you lost your job suddenly your special ability was worthless yes and no yes definitely for the corporate but let's say you you just got fired on Thursday the bad guys you don't don't know yet that you're not a cop anymore so you go into the hood and you know you were a cop two days ago and well, that's probably you well. personally and knew you were a cop. Like, if you don't have that badge, uh, it makes it a little bit e a little bit harder to convince new schmucks that you're not a cop or that you still have any authority whatsoever. Yeah, right, but right. You, you can talk the talk, right? And sure, you can talk the talk, but you're not going to have anything <laughs> to back it up, right? Which but game mechanic wise then that would be a human perception role right oh you're just talking out your ass um versus oh i failed well okay i believe you're still a cop and i you know i could be taken in <laughs> so i i think authority not didn't necessarily had was tied to your career and that you had to be a cop i think it it's allowed you to muscle your way through it yes people it are going to call it, on you it, didn't. it didn't allow you to be like, like a private detective you had to you had to have some innate employment to have the authority in the first place uh All right and but uh yeah i got you i mean you could be a corporate cop i guess or you could be a fed or something like that but like a private detective no you're not a cop anymore you don't you don't well, need to use authority no, you can use authority um, because, uh, to me, no, a combination. Uh, no, co let's, let me let me talk through it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So authority is you don't have an agency behind you. You have the law, which is above employment. So from an authority point of view, I know the law well enough to say, "Hey, you broke section eight of the penal code of whatever." You're going to go to jail, and I can even make it a person, you know, a citizen arrest on it, even though I'm not a cop anymore. I still have some capabilities of doing things, and, and you kind of see 
and it's even real life that you know a brother of a cop kind of knows the laws or was uh was a cop and decided to quit you know they're still making citizen arrest and they're still doing things within the law that a private citizen can do um and that's where authority comes in it's what the law gives you as as a person or a person who knows what the laws are <clears throat> uh, I don't know that's uh just my my view of how authority works versus resources like so resources that kind of you need someone to give you the resources or have the resources i mean okay here we go uh the authority uh special ability according to the 2020 rule book is the ability to intimidate or control others to your position as a lawman this attribute represents the cop's ability to call on the forces of the law and government to get what he wants. Um, so basically, you're using—I guess—you're using it as a backup to uh, like an intimidation role. Um, again, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty abstract uh, special ability. And uh, oh yeah, there's got some abstractness to it. I hate abstract rules. I just, they bug the crap out of me. <laughs> the uh, one thing I'm looking forward to in Reddit, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was, I was hoping for like the new Chromebook because I wonder if anybody thought about this. Okay, there was this calamitous world war. There's junk laying out there. Lots of it. Bullets, armor, guns all strewn about the planet let's see some of that stuff pop up in the new chromebook that you know somebody's you know put a little spit and polish on it but hey here you go you want some new tech yeah we dug it out of the wasteland somewhere i i don't know how the new chromebook is supposed to work uh considering that they've removed pretty much 100 percent of the gear porn that uh made previous edition so very enjoyable uh like they've they've made hand they've made they've made guns and weapons in general so generic that like individual entries for any weapon just seem useless at this point um fair point i mean i get what they're going for they're they're going to make things as easily and as easy and simple for new players as possible like let shit run quickly and i get that it's the it's the new modern ethos for gaming um it's it's just not the philosophy i i subscribed to i don't think the new players are given enough credit i mean i i was a chowderhead at 17 or 18 when i first started playing and i figured it out and these kids are even smarter it's, than it's I not think. necessarily new players that i'm talking about it's just the new the new gaming philosophy where they, they it's the trend towards simpler and simpler games rules wise mechanics wise uh in favor of like quick action and and quick storytelling um a lot of narrative 
control was given to players and all that. And I get it. That's that's the new that's the new hipness. That's the the hot shiny. Um, but like I said, I'm I'm old school. I, I like my rules. I like my crunch. I like I like my. Uh, Mm-hmm. I, as I've said before, I hate. I, I really hesitate to use the word realistic when it comes to any role-playing game. But yeah, I like my, I like my rules to have the crunch that aids in the verisimilitude or some French word. Yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> aids in the simulation of, you know. But that's why I say new players because they don't have the background that we have. They. They they came up with this you know streamlined you know, system this this new way of doing it. It's going to be more effective on them because they have nothing to gauge it against. Sure. Whereas somebody somebody's older, yeah, I, I've I've done my crunch and you know I want to do something simple now. That okay, that's great because you have had that experience. But these new streamlined games, I believe, just my opinion, that they're focusing mostly on the new gamers who don't have, you know, that those checks and balances that we have. And I I think, you know, reading in Reddit and and Facebook when I was on that at the time and and other various social media uh, outlets is that uh, Cyberpunk Red is introducing a lot of new players to the game and a lot of new players are looking for an alternative to Dungeon and Dragons, so they're they're moving on, finding red, playing it, and uh, a section of those players, you know, after reading red, are like, I want more. Um, however, RTG isn't... <laughs> it's very slow, I would say, in getting production done. I mean, granted, the, the quality is great, and of course, you know, the more quality you have, the, the slower things are going to take. Um... So they're looking at Cyberpunk 2020, and God bless RTG for for what they've done in keeping, you know, all their old supplements available mm-hmm. and, and printable, or, or and you can get a physical copy of them still. Um, God bless. Them. And those new players who get into Red are like, okay, so. 2020 let let me start digging into that because i want to know more about the lore i want to know more about or get more gear and you know like you said the the gear porn of it um and getting into 2020 which i don't know is going to have an adverse effect to red's popularity i don't think so because i think there's still people who are going to continue doing red and yeah I, i think it's definitely the system of the future but for right now, it's a bit stagnant. Um, because how long has Red been out? Almost a year? Almost a year? Uh, yeah. A little over a year? Has it, has it only... Has it, has it been... I thought it had been longer than that. Man. Because yeah. the Jumpstart Kit uh, came out... See, I got a copy for my birthday, so this was pre-pandemic. When I got the Jumpstart kit, oh, you, you're right. Uh, I just have lost all track of time. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> that's what the pandemic has done to us. <laughs> oh my God! I don't but, know what I don't know what day of the week it is anymore. 
It's that one that ends with a Y. Yeah. <laughs> Is today the day I've got to do something, or do I sleep all day? Oh, I have to do something. Damn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Am I still in my underwear? Okay, it must be Saturday. So I think it's interesting how a lot of those new players are coming into the system and you know are questioning well should i get into 2020 and you have that debate of well 2020 has dozens of books that you can read through master and even bring into red um right. and that's, i mean i love that i mean some people are actually doing a lot of conversions and it's not like the D&D various editions where a lot of conversion needed to happen uh, between systems. Yeah, I mean, the stats stay the same. Hit points, yeah, a little bit, but um, but spells <laughs> were changed yeah, dramatically. The, Monsters. There's really no compatibility between systems. Like, uh... AD&D does not does not convert to third edition. Third edition does not convert to fifth edition. I skip fourth edition because goddamn, it's the most worthless fucking game I've ever seen. I, I don't, I don't care who says different. Don't I've, hold it in. How do you really feel? <laughs> uh, I feel that fourth edition was nothing more than. An attempt to make a live action or a, a, a tabletop MMO RPG video game where everything in the entire game was geared to move from one combat to the next, which is why all spells had like a like a two minute spell limit fly and all the stuff that you used to use to travel. Now you just take it all for granted that you're moving from one place to the other and skip it all. Yep. Okay, uh, I read a like advanced D and D third edition D and D. If you read it, like the adventure modules, they're these they're full of like giant like descriptions of rooms. They give the history and all that, and then it gives the monster in the room or whatever. And it's just this little stack block and blah blah blah. With fourth edition, it was all just oh, here's the monster stat block. Here's a little tiny little blah 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 about the room. Because we provide this map for you that's just a battle map. Move to the next one. And add repeat. Yeah. yeah. I hated 4th edition. <laughs> <laughs> hey, is Red supposed to get any modules or anything that you know of? Um, so they... Uh, they put out some free stuff on the on the Artal site. Um, some they free adventure... Just pushed stuff. out a thing called the, the data pack which you okay. can buy as physical or download as P PDF. Um, that has some scenarios as well as, I believe, some battle maps and, and some other juicy things that you can get. Well, see, I like the sound of that. That can ease also the, the, the new players into it. And say, hey, you don't have to really think too much here as a module. Uh, go for it. Yeah, they're uh, they're. I mean, they like the online content. They they push out stuff on a fairly regular basis, and it's it's pretty good stuff. Um, Excellent. I do wish they'd give us more news about like actual like books that they might be putting out. Um, 
I feel like the anticipation of that kind of stuff is killing me. Uh, <laughs> but I don't even know what to expect. Like apparently there's a Chromebook coming out at some point, but like I said, I don't I don't have any clue what they're gonna put in that. Hopefully right. they'll fix they'll add individual guns and individual pieces of tech and give us the, the gear porn that we're craving with it. Um and maybe remove some of that generic uh, generality. <laughs> yeah, so the um, data pack is a pad of 50 double-sided character sheets. Um, mm-hmm. Six double-sided 11 by 17 map sheets for a total of 12 maps. Uh, a booklet nice, with six deal. new Scream Sheet adventures and six 20 things, things in Night City lists to add new people, places, and things in your campaign. And tons of lore with it. It's, uh, retail is $20. Well, digital is $8. Yeah, no, that's a good deal right there. I like that. And they're yeah, also, that's cool. like also publishing a net running deck which basically is all the programs are on flashcards. So a uh, 52 program deck with black ice, uh, floor cards, all sturdy poker size cards. That's going to retail for $17 and $6 digital. Well, see, that, that, that puts a new twist on it. Yeah. Um, as for like um, Black Chrome, I know, I know that's been talked about back in, uh, like I said, when I was gaming with Mike in 2014, um, he was talking about it. So it's one of those things that <laughs> has been in the works for quite some time. Um, hopefully, it'll be coming out soon. We'll see. Keep our fingers crossed. Yeah. But again, you, you always got to take into consideration of, of our Talsorian. Yes, they put out great products. Um, they just take a while. Uh, I remember with uh, uh, V3, and basically it was announced, and it was going to be debuting, and then five, later, five years later it debuted from when it was supposed to debut. Um, and it and I think with Red, they kind of waited a little before they really announced it. But there was always the talk of uh, um, Black Chrome coming out, um, which again... Right. It, yeah, I remember uh, they announced Black Chrome on the 2077 forums um, as something that they were working on. And yeah. And rumor, and this is only rumor from me, of overhearing a conversation somewhere in the nethers of the world was one of the reasons why it's been delayed was because the original Black Chrome was geared more towards the 2020 setting and now with Red that has changed dramatically everything um, yeah that would make a lot of sense has now mm-hmm. had to take all the work that they've done so far and start converting it changing it and making it more um, balanced in the new system. 
or they might have scrapped it and <laughs> started fresh, you know, as of <laughs> a year ago. Well, they have a talented team, so I have no doubt that, you know, by Christmas next year, we'll have something. Yeah, and I think we, as a gaming generation, kind of been spoiled, um, you know, back in the 90s, where it was the golden age of, of role-playing games, and that we would get something almost every three months to six months, a new product would hit the I shelves. Mean, we had, in addition to Artel Sorian, we had Atlas Games and Ionis Games yep. pushing out stuff. Uh yeah, between like 1990 and 1996, it was just a glorious time to be yes, a fan of cyberpunk. Uh, gaming in general, I mean. Yeah, gaming in general, it was it was it was amazing. It's the the variety of games. Some of them we still have some not, but the variety was out there and it's it was fantastic at least for me cuz again, I was still going to gaming cons. I was just buying stuff left and right, like getting like anything that I thought I could use for Cyberpunk. Uh, yeah, that, that I would I would try and pick up on the on the discount. Uh, there was a game store that I used to go to that sold used games, and I'd get all the James Bond supplements and and uh, source books, all the Twilight Two Thousand. Uh, and a very limited amount of Shadowrun stuff. Just the stuff that I thought I could directly apply to Cyberpunk. Um, cyberspace. Uh, yeah, I always had the intent to do stuff like that. Like, one thing I really wanted to uh, try was... Um, if you remember the game DC Heroes. I think it was by Mayfair. Yep. Um, yep, yep they had one supplement that was like all gadgets and they gave rules on how to create gadgets with the various roles and always wanted and I still want to try to uh, create some type of and again Red kind of took it that way but just how you can create various gadgets as a techie um, and coming up with a difficulty level Similar to, you know, the drug rules and the program rules that were already in the book and just taking it one step further and doing it for, like, cyberware or or just any other gadget that you were trying to, like, come up with and be able to build whatever you want when you want it. Never get around to actually writing up those rules. Now, how many programs does the new net running system have i mean is it like a dozen dozen and a half um i think it's yeah i think it's like around a little less than a dozen for carrot for a net runners programs um but okay. for a data fort there's like probably a dozen or two dozen that are out okay. there um but it's not as wide and variety or have a variety compared to 2020 because I think 2020 and and how they changed net running in general is <clears throat> streamlined it a, a bit uh, so you don't need to have all those special programs and because you're not 
net running the world. You're not going to encounter enemy net runners, so there's no need for a net runner to have any type of black ice to kind of fight the various um, other net runners. And also, they gave the net runner the ability to do what's called zap, which is basically just do damage to a program. So it, that alleviates mm -hmm. the whole anti-program programs that a net uh, runner would usually require. So yeah, I guess yeah. And it's all you know augmented reality, so it's kind of like you know a deadly version of Pokemon Go. Mm. <laughs> I mean, the new system kind of reminds me of the 2013 um, in that it wasn't necessarily three-dimensional, right? You had one node that you would go into that led to another node that could lead to two or three more nodes that you would head off to. Um, so mm -hmm. it's very linear in, in that way. So it, it seems like they've kind of gone back to how 2013 did it. To make it more streamlined and easier to use. Who knows that? I mean, it is their resource? It would seem logical that they would, you know, use it. Yep. Can't argue with that. I do. I do miss the interfaces from 2013. You know, super realistic, cartoonish, and you know, it was like three different, you know reality settings they had it you know yeah. ultra reality ultra reality ultra realistic cartoonish and something in the middle so, so yeah you're facing a hell helm but it's this but it's gonna fry your brain but it's a puppy dog <laughs> yeah but that was a nice little bit of well, fluff that i liked even though i never you know i tried to run that runners it was still a little bit too much for me so i like most others, relegated it to the realm of the NPC. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was the common fix. Oh, it's still the common fix. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, my problem with running or having Netrunner net running in my 2020 game is I've had too many players not learn the rules. Um, because if if the player knows the rules and I know the rules, you can kick out a run very quickly. Um, right. However, if the player is constantly like, oh, what does this program do? Uh, what am I facing? What's going on here? That's where it can really slow down, and I think that's where a lot of players or groups face that challenge uh, was because the player was like, I want to play a Netrunner. I've never done it before, and I'm not going to read the rules because my GM knows, or my referee knows all about it, so he's just going to tell me what I need to do, which just doesn't work, um, especially if you're at a, a at a table with multiple players. Right. Hey, what size of groups do you guys use? Because I usually don't run for any more than four because Cyberpunk is supposed to be fast. It's supposed to be, you know, right now, I don't see having eight, nine, ten players around the table trying to decide what they want to do. I I personally don't like running more than three to four people uh, these days. Um, 
I, I, I'll run four players uh, because I, I like having the larger audience. But like the best gaming experiences are with two to th- uh, one to two players. Um, like you said, your one on ones. They 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 provide they provide the richest like character development uh, and story exploration. Whereas larger groups, you just get so anytime there's a combat, you get so bogged down on that that's the entire session. So you miss out on that feeling of a quick, fast, dirty combat, and you miss out on a lot of the character development, the personal storyline. Um, so you, there's there's a trade-off. Uh, I've run as I've run ridiculously large groups. Um, I I never. If I have to do it again, I'll do it, but I never look forward to it. I, uh, once you start getting like five or more players, the game really, you're just moving from one combat to the next. That's, that's all the game is anymore. Um, for me, I'm currently running for six online. Um, and, and it's a manageable size currently. Uh, it all depends on who's playing when it comes to size. Um, and, and yeah, I really won't, don't want to go over six people because of combat. So, and even for storytelling, it's very hard to get, you know, seven people, eight people to continue to do what they want to do because usually by the time you have that many players, it's the, the party's going to split up and do their own thing um and each so each session's going to be back and forth between various little groups within the group uh to role play out so for me you know i think four is probably the sweet spot uh but again depends on the players um Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. Four spanking brand new role players might be a little difficult. Um, versus six, six might even be, you know, not too bad. But again, it all depends on the players, what they like. Hopefully, you don't have disruptive players uh, who are trying to take the limelight and the spotlight away from the rest of the group because that's also. Mm-hmm. can be detrimental to any size of group. Anytime yes, I definitely. hear about one of you guys running like six or more players on a regular basis, I'm just like, man, you're a better GM than I will ever be. <laughs> you have more <laughs> patience and understanding. I can barely open a chip packet without getting angry and frustrated. <laughs> the only time I've run more than four players is when I ran at conventions, but then, you know, the characters are already drawn out. People, no matter what they picked, I knew what the characters were capable of and where they would fit into the scenario. But when you have like six people who all have their own ideas and visions, yeah, wrangling them, you know, that's that's hurting cats right there for me. Yep. 
And when it comes to combat, you know, what is the combat supposed to be doing, story-wise? Um, is it the showdown with, you know, the main target? Is it, or is it just to give some annoyance to the players? Um, right, so depending upon the combat, right, um, most of the combats with the six, with my six players, take probably half the session uh, at most because they're not facing really big baddies. Now, when they assaulted a facility, that lasted two sessions of, of combat <laughs> going from, you know, okay, they fight this wave of guards, then they go deeper into the facility and start fighting another um, batch of guards. So, you know, that session can be complex, right? Because of the amount of opponents that they have to fight through. Uh, but mm -hmm. when it comes to just regular off the street, just causing the, the group a little bit of annoyance or doing like a, a side adventure, yeah, combat usually doesn't last too long uh, because they're facing weaker enemies. Right. Makes sense. So, um, what do you guys want to talk about now? Uh, yeah. Oh, things are happening. Things are happening. Computer issues. Um, I don't know. Uh, Bill, what's your favorite cyberpunk movie? Uh, Strange Days. That's nice. a good one. That's a very good one. I actually used that as the blueprint for my uh, a psychological thriller that I did. Uh, guy comes from Baltimore, hometown. Uh, he gets a job at some small brain dance studio, and he is confounded by these clips that he's been left of these acts of, you know, violence and he's not really knowing what to do and so he's just befuddled by all these things that keep coming at his doorstep and he realizes that at one point the person wearing the brain dance rig was standing at the door of his, his house or his apartment so he Ooh. then became a target so he had to find out who this killer was who was sending these clips before he ended up on the clip. So yeah, I used Strange Days as my basis for that. That's good stuff right there. No, I like I like layers. I like layers in my game. Yep. It is, layers uh, are good. Strange Days is such an underrated film. Like it Angela Bassett is the like avatar of just badass in that movie. Yes. Yeah, for me, when it comes to like, and again, there's various various uh, favorites of mine, um, but when it comes to a, a definite tie-in to Cyberpunk 2020 would be Johnny Mnemonic. Just because you mm -hmm. had pretty much every single role portrayed in that movie 
Yeah, um, and and done and done well too. Yeah. Right. And that's also why I like Strange Days because you have Lenny Nero, the fixer, former cop, Angela Bassett, Mace, the no the waitress turned solo. Yeah. Philo Gant, the crazed corporate, the ex-girlfriend, the rocker, uh, the best friend, the PI, the gangers, his you know henchmen. It, it, it had oh even Tick. Remember Tick was a techie. Mm-hmm. The scene yeah. where they give him the brain dance that lets him run again was like the saddest thing <laughs> in the movie. Like just Jesus Christ, just torture that poor bastard. <laughs> yeah I also love the brain dance oh. yeah I still don't know what's better brain dance or VR because you know brain dance is directly from the brain you feel everything but VR you can project anything you may not be able to feel it but you can see it uh, to me I mean they're not really comparable like uh, uh, for, from our scope they're comparable in that you know, you, you, you plug into both. But as far as, like, in the world of 2020, like, VR... VR is just how you experience the net. Whereas... Brain Dance, that's... That's like watching a movie and, and getting a massage at the same time. Well, remember what he said in the movie, it's not like TV only better, it's life. It's a part of someone's life. Yeah, it's 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 bits and snippets of uh, just recordings from the point of view of of a person for like five minutes or so. It's uh, <laughs> that's what it feels like to be an eighteen-year-old girl taking a shower. Yep, <laughs> with all the emotions too. Yeah. In my current campaign, one of my guys is a brain dance producer who's making a brain dance commercial for the local burger joint. So you nice. get to taste the burger, you get to taste the burger and the shakes, and, uh, <laughs> and I don't know. If that's a good idea for most burger joints. <laughs> like, but, but it looks good, but you they do is they, Well, see, what they do is just like what you do in a regular burger joint. You have this beautiful picture, and you get this squishy little thing on your plate. Yep. Same thing with the brain dance commercial. You help. It is the delicious freaking made by a chef burger. Right, but when you get a plate, <laughs> like, you get this little squishy burger. Yeah. With artificial what flavoring to improve the taste. What is this like, 50% soy bullshit <laughs> you're putting on my plate? <laughs> hey, that's Moolah's. You know, they have more beef in their burgers than any other burger joint. Ulaz is the burger joint in my my world. That and Otaku Bell. <laughs> Bell. <laughs> yeah, Japanese Mexican. There's still uh, there's a Mayfair put out this game called Underground, and it was like a superhero cyberpunk book. Uh, I have it. Art by Jeff it as Darrow. But it, it's got a restaurant in it called Tasty Ghoul, and I imported that. Like that that came straight to my game. <laughs> now with more peoples people people eating people exactly yeah, so, so green and people so why should it be <laughs> so we're about 
10 minutes to the two hour mark so um i don't know how much more we got or how much fuel we still have um i don't get much fuel i was i, I was I had to take some pain pills before starting and they're starting to uh they're starting to kick in okay um, okay so uh enough. we'll end the show here um phil if you want to stick around um we can talk a little bit after the show um definitely and uh for those out on the interwebs uh thank you for watching um if you're watching this on youtube please like and uh comment on those uh those who are listening live you know who you are and we appreciate you attending and watching these videos uh so i am cyber smiley you can find all my work on cybersmiley.net uh, I have, it's a fan site for Red and 2020 with a lot of goodies there. I am Wisdom. I run Data Fortress 2020, the largest and most comprehensive uh, Cyberpunk 2020 resource on the planet. Uh, you can get a hold of me just about anywhere. Um, by all means, leave a, if you have any uh, requests, comments, or criticisms. Uh, leave them on, leave a comment on our YouTube. Yep. Also, thank you. (laughs) Go ahead. Who's speaking? Who drew out, who got me into the cyberpunk uncensored and, you know, made me a moderator and all that sort of good stuff. Hey, Rob. Yeah, yes. we'd like to th- thank Rob for hosting us on uh, Cyberpunk Uncensored and uh, for providing us a space to have yeah. these discussions. And if you go to uh, Cyberpunk Uncensored Discord, uh, you can find we have a channel specifically for the Four Lone Dopes. So if you have any questions or topics you want to uh, bring up, by all means, post there. Um, I'm pretty active on Discord, so I will probably reply to you at all times so uh again i appreciate you all listening and uh thanks for phil mccracken joining us and we will talk to you in another two weeks thanks everyone bye thanks